the Trinity, three in one, one God, three persons. It's a mystery. How can anyone grasp it, let alone describe it? We're going to look at another mystery this morning. It's called union with Christ. Many would say it is the single most important doctrine in order to understand the Christian life. So turning your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, we're continuing our study through this amazing letter of Paul to a church he'd never been to, to Christians he'd never met. But they were going through some hard times because there were some bad teachers that were trying to tempt these Christians to add something to the Christian life besides trust in Jesus. It's Jesus plus a formula. Jesus and a recipe. And Paul writes this letter to call them and to remind us to constantly grow in our hope and trust in Christ. It is through faith in Christ that we're converted, and it is through faith in Christ that we're transformed. Now, to help us understand this mystery of union with Christ, I'm going to use an illustration that I promise you is relevant to every single person here this morning and is relevant to every single person that may be streaming online right now. And that is this. On this Mother's Day, we all share one reality. Every one of us has a birth mom. Every one of us was in some woman's womb. She may have passed away. You may not ever have met your birth mom. Many of our birth moms are still alive and well. But the fact is, every single person here has or had a birth mother. And that birth mother was your lifeline as you grew in the womb. Specifically, through the umbilical cord attached to the placenta. The umbilical cord contains three blood vessels. One vein that connects the baby in the womb to the mother's placenta, which actually feeds nutrients, food, and oxygen to the child in the womb. And then two arteries that allow the waste from the child, deoxygenated blood, other kinds of waste, to go back from the child into the placenta. And it's amazing how God has fashioned and formed us in the womb and how he's fashioned and formed the womb itself. And the amazing, complicated wonder of God's sustaining grace and genius physically also applies to our lives spiritually. You see, to be in Christ, to be united to Christ and have Christ in us is very similar 
as far as getting rid of our waste, sin, brokenness, and gaining Christ's life supernaturally. So this morning, we're going to look at what I hope becomes one of the most encouraging, empowering truths you have ever heard. And it will lead you to greater hope, greater health, spiritually speaking, and greater joy and peace in believing our union with Christ. Let's all stand out of God's reverence for God's Word and follow along as I read Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. This is God's Word. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was about uh, 12 miles uh, away from Colossae, and of course, Colossae was about 120 miles east of Ephesus. Ephesus, of course, is near the western coast of Turkey. And Paul had never been to Colossae or to Laodicea. He says, uh, And for all those who have not seen my, me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, there's that word again, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it to us because he loves us. And he wants us to understand the foundational blessings of union with Christ. If by God's grace we are empowered and enabled to grasp this, it will in fact change every life here or watching this morning. Let's pray. Father, I've probably set this up really high as far as a standard, and yet I know I'm not overdoing it. God, please 
open our eyes as we dive into what might seem like deep doctrine? Would you encourage us that, that really we address this morning the basics, the foundation, the footers, that which is most essential? And so God, give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So as we talk about union with Christ, there are several implications. Three in particular we're going to look at this morning. First of all, the implication of union with Christ by us being in Christ. Then secondly, we're going to look at the implication of union with Christ by considering the perspective of Christ in us. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the implication of what being in Christ and Christ in us leads to as far as this life. So, first of all, be encouraged by your union with Christ. Be encouraged. That word means comfort. It's it's where we get the name for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. Be strengthened. Why? How? Because of this beautiful truth that by God's Spirit, as we trust in Christ, we are baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, when I say baptized, I'm not talking about water baptism. Water baptism is simply the outward sign, the outward seal of the reality which it represents. So water baptism points us to the reality we're going to talk about this morning. And that is when we are converted, we are baptized into Christ. By the way, if you're a Christian, you have been baptized into Christ. There's no second baptism. There's no second experience. You can't be a Christian and not have been baptized into Christ. So don't let anyone tell you differently. The way to understand it is, let's say that these sermon notes represent my life. I've done this before, but we have new people here. And on these notes, all the black marks represent my sin, my brokenness, my guilt and condemnation in Adam that every one of us share. This Bible represents Christ. And all of the words, all of the ink, represents all of His good works, His obedient life, His substitutionary death. The Bible says that when we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptizes us into Christ. And at our conversion, we are identified with Christ. Our lives are hidden in Christ with God. So that means that everything that is true of Christ is true of those who were united to Christ. All through Scripture, uh, especially Paul's letters, we see this phrase, in Christ, in Him. As a matter of fact, 70 times Paul uses 
the phrase in him or in Christ. Now, let me give you just a sampling of some of these verses. First of all, 2 Corinthians 5.21. In him, in Christ, we become the righteousness of God. Now, the phrase just before that says that God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In Christ, we become the righteousness of God. Now, he doesn't make us righteous. He legally declares us righteous. We're given a new standing, a new status, because we're in Christ. Our lives are identified so with Christ that his righteousness is declared to be our righteousness. So we're right with God all the time. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't care about our sin. But I'm talking about our standing. Our standing with God in Christ is unchangeable. If that doesn't encourage you this morning, if if that doesn't remind you of how much hope and blessing we have in Christ, I don't know what can encourage you. We're justified. Remember what that word means? Use the saying, just as if I'd. When you are in Christ, God looks at you and treats you just as if I'd never sinned. And just as if I'd done everything right all the time. What are you believing? Your condition on a daily basis about how you blow it. So you're filled with shame and guilt and self-condemnation so that you're not even motivated to live out the Christian life? Or are you going to trust in your union with Christ, that you are in Christ, and as a result, you share his identity before God? Another verse about being in Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 3, the Father blesses us in Christ with Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing is yours. Not because you earn it. Not because you deserve it. Not because you merit it. Not because you maintain it. But because you are, if you know Christ, in Christ. And everything is given to us in Christ. Our adopted standing. We are are given the same standing as if we were sons and daughters, like Jesus is the Son of God. Amazing. Romans 8.1, you know this, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See? It's, it's not there's no condemnation because you're so good. It's there is therefore now no condemnation because you are in Christ. I mean, I could go on and on and on about all of these blessings that are ours in Christ. Paul is passionate about this. And I'm trying to communicate some of Paul's passion that we get gripped by our union with Christ. Look at verse 25. Paul says his entire calling is to make the word of God fully known. Now, by the way, he's actually not talking about preaching verse by verse through the Bible starting in Genesis and ending in Revelation, although that's very, very, very important. Now, word of God is used very technically here. 
Word of God stands for the gospel. Paul says his calling is to make the gospel fully known, fully understood, fully embraced. And what Paul's talking about primarily is the doctrine, the truth of union with Christ. And in this point, being in Christ. So back to verse 28. Him we proclaim by warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why does Paul warn? Because there are bad teachers that are trying to get Christians to move off Jesus alone and union with Christ to Jesus plus, Jesus and. Jesus plus a formula, Jesus and a recipe. And Paul says, oh, please don't do that. Especially when the Christian life doesn't seem to be working. That's when we're most open and tempted to turn to Jesus plus and Jesus and. Jesus plus this new experience. Jesus and this new key. No. Keep going back to the truth. Your life is in Christ. And in Christ, you have a standing that can never be taken away from you. And then he says he teaches everyone with all wisdom. Paul is teaching us to go more deeply into the truth that we are in Christ before God. And then in verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, I teach that you might continue your good order and firmness of faith in Christ. That that word good order is from a line of soldiers. You know, they get all, you know, stiff and have to stand at attention. Paul saying the Christian life is us remaining in line when it comes to union with Christ. Don't get out of line by going after other teachings. Just remain fully at attention, fixing your eyes on your union with Christ, that you are in Christ. April 16th, 2021. Big day in the Flayheart house. Harmony Kate, Owen James, Nora Jane. They become Flay hearts. They became, amen. <laughs> After 18 months almost, they became flay hearts. Now, there's one of the most beautiful paragraphs in the adoption petition that I want to read to you this morning because I think it really fits with what we're learning about union with Christ. The final judgment of adoption creates a relationship with the child and the petitioners, and all relatives of petitioners, that would have existed if the child was a blood descendant of the petitioners and born within their wedlock, entitled to all the rights and privileges thereof, and subject to all obligations of children born to petitioners. That is beautiful. That means Harmony Kate. Owen James and Nora Jane are legally considered as if they had been born by blood 
through Josh and Kara, and that can never change. And if you know Christ, that is exactly the adoption papers that are yours in Christ. As if you had been the very Son of God. Now, you and I don't become divine, right? Let's make sure we're clear on that. But our identity is secure. Be encouraged. Are you encouraged? I don't know how you couldn't be encouraged. Unless you're asleep, then who's ever next to you, just elbow you. Secondly, be empowered by your union with Christ. So in the first point, we looked at union with Christ from the perspective of us being in Christ. Then Paul goes on to say there's also an element of union with Christ that is Christ in us. In verse 26, he calls it the mystery. He uses mystery three times in this text. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Okay, Paul just shows us what the word mystery means. The mystery isn't some whodunit that we're trying to figure out some secret knowledge that the false teachers have. And if we would just stumble upon or listen to those false teachers and we would enter into their mystery understanding of the spiritual life, then we would arrive. You know, there, there really is that kind of thinking in our day. I'm sure you've run into people that have said, this is it. This is the key. This is the mystery solved. No, a mystery in Scripture is simply something God has planned from all eternity. That he's kept hidden for a while. But all along has intended to reveal. And in the right time, he in fact reveals it. And the mystery, of course, we find out in the text is Jesus. Jesus was promised from all eternity. He was present through shadows and figures in the Old Testament, and then he was fully revealed. And in verse 27, Paul writes that the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is what? Christ in you. This is what God had planned from all eternity. The mystery of union with Christ, particularly focused on Christ in us. We looked at us in Christ, big, huge, important. Now we're looking at Christ in us, big, huge, important. See, the glory of God and his presence and his power dwells in the Christian. I looked at some passages with you on us in Christ. Let me give you now some passages of Christ in us. John 17, 23, the high priestly prayer. I in them, Jesus, I in them, us, and you, Father, in me. Now, if Christ is in us, and the Father's in Christ, and we know the Holy Spirit's in us, the triune God dwells within us. That ought to affect every year of our lives. That ought to affect us ethically, morally. That ought to affect how we treat our bodies, what we do. The triune God 
is in the Christian? How does it impact you? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? I mean, we ought to wake up every morning. By the way, this is where this whole self-concept thing is terrible. Your children don't need a good self-concept. You don't need a good self-concept. You need the concept that Jesus Christ is in you. And you are in Jesus Christ. And that's all the self-concept you need. Everything flows out of that. We spend so much time trying to build up our children. What if we spent more time teaching them about their union with Christ? Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's a sense in which we no longer live because since we're in Christ, we were in Christ at the cross. We died. Who we were in Adam died with Christ on the cross. And now Christ is in us. And he lives his life through us. How? As we live by faith. As we trust the promises of the truths of union with Christ. These truths need to be appropriated. So this is why Paul was so upset with the Galatians. Just like the Colossians. They were tempted to leave the foundation of union with Christ. And Paul says in Galatians 4, Children with whom I am the anguish of childbirth again until Christ is fully formed in you. Again, that's, that's, that's motherhood womb language. Okay, The child being formed in the womb through the vein and the arteries doing their work. And of course the anguish of childbirth. And Paul says, he spiritually is in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in us. You see, we grow in Christ. We don't ever move beyond union with Christ. We just move more deeply into it. Ephesians 3, 14 to 17 Paul says, I pray that the Father may grant you to be strengthened with power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then he talks about glory. God's glory is his substance. It's his, his weightiness that is, is just so substantive. It's majestic. It's, it's fearful. And Paul says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Now, on the one hand, he's talking about Christ in us is the hope that he who began a good work in you will bring it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. Hope of glory, hope of the new Jerusalem. But what if I told you that's not primarily what Paul's saying? Paul's talking about the hope of glory now. The transformation that occurs from one who give glory to another because Christ is in us. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. 
that as we behold Christ, as we look at Christ as finished work, as we trust the doctrines of the gospel, as we embrace union with Christ, us in Christ and Christ in us, we will be transformed from one degree of glory to another. You don't need a formula. You don't need a recipe. You don't need some new secret truth. We simply need to continue in our faith. That's what Paul says in verse 5 of chapter 2. Continue in the firmness of our faith in Christ. Christians, church of the 21st century, were in danger of being bewitched, hoodwinked. We've begun to buy into all these books about Christ and about the Christian life instead of recognizing the Christian life is Christ in us and trusting in that power. We don't ever move away from the gospel. We don't ever move away from union with Christ. We just move more deeply into him and more deeply into it. You know, I love uh, uh, C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, the very last book, The Last Battle. It concludes the series, and we meet a character, a warrior of the enemy named Emmet. Now, Emmet, ironically, is the Hebrew word for truth. But Emmet's whole life has been a lie. Emmet has spent his entire life fighting against Aslan, the Christ figure, the great lion. Emmet has spent his whole life in fighting for the enemy and against Aslan and his armies. But then one day, near the end of the stories, Aslan shows up and meets Emmett face to face. And Emmett realizes he's been committing treason his entire life. He's been serving the wrong master his entire life. And he is afraid that he is about to be taken out, wasted. But then listen to how C.S. Lewis puts it. But in great grace, the great lion bent his golden head and touched Emmet's forehead with his tongue and welcomed him to Narnia. And then Emmet speaks these words to the children. If you know the stories, the children from our world that go to Narnia. He says, then he breathed on me and he took away the trembling from my limbs and he caused me to stand on my feet. After that, he said not much, but that we should meet again and that I must keep going further up and further in. Further up and further in. We never move beyond the gospel. We keep on moving further up and further in to Christ. Be encouraged by your standing in Christ. Be empowered by the reality of Christ living in you. And then thirdly, and quickly, I'm going to get you moms to your brunches. Uh, Come on, we all know it's true. Third, be emboldened by your union with Christ. Be emboldened. Look how the passage begins. Paul rejoices in his sufferings. What kind of sufferings? Sufferings that are leading other Christians further up and further in to the gospel. 
further up and further in to Christ. Further up and further in to union with Christ. See, Paul rejoices because he knows his own identity. He knows he is in Christ. Paul rejoices because he knows he's empowered, because he knows that Christ is in him. And Paul is emboldened, listen now, because since Paul knows that he's in Christ, then all of Christ's sufferings, all the benefits of Christ's sufferings are Paul's sufferings. And in addition, Paul also is emboldened because he's come to understand that all of his sufferings are also Christ's sufferings. Do you follow me on that? I said two different things. They're both true. Because of a union with Christ, all of Christ's sufferings, all the benefits of Christ's sufferings are ours. But because of our union with Christ and Christ in us, all of our sufferings are embraced by Christ. That gives great meaning, great purpose, great depth to all of our suffering and all of our afflictions. As a matter of fact, Paul says in verse 24, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. Now, don't get me wrong. Only Christ's sufferings were salvific. Only Christ's sufferings bring about eternal salvation. However, the Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament also talks about sufferings destined for the church because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. I mean, this is what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. This this isn't the best news I can give you. But the reality is, it's the most empowering, emboldening news I can give you. And that is, we have not been promised an easy life. We have not been promised health, wealth, and prosperity. As a matter of fact, we have been promised, because of our union with Christ that we're going to suffer and we're going to face afflictions. But we're also told that because Christ is in us, any sufferings that we undergo are somehow Christ's sufferings. Now, our sufferings won't save people. But our sufferings are Christ's sufferings and will bring about transformation as we bring our pain and our suffering and our affliction to Jesus. Now, why is this so important? Look at verse 4 of chapter 2. So that no one may delude you with plausible-sounding arguments. You know when we're most susceptible to error? When we're in pain. We're most susceptible to error when we face affliction. Why? Because all we want is relief. And if anybody comes along with any recipe or formula that seems to offer 
some hope of relief were willing almost to be bewitched. And Paul says, I'm telling you about the purpose and and the majesty of your suffering so that when you face it, you won't go after plausible-sounding arguments, but instead you will continue to run further up and further in to your union with Christ and believe that as he endured his sufferings, as he lives in you, he will empower you and enable you and embolden you to embrace suffering. The good news as we conclude is that in verse 29 we're told that our capacity to endure suffering and embrace affliction flows out of our union with Christ. Look at verse 29. Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, which is working in me in power. Nowhere else in the entire New Testament are these three power words used in the same sentence. Struggling according to his energy, which is working in me in power. It's similar to thought in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with awe and reverence because it is God who is at work in you, Christ in you, both to cause you to will, to choose, and to work according to His good pleasure. It's grace from start to finish. It's Christ from A to Z. It's union with Christ from beginning to end. And don't you let anyone pull you out of line. Stand firm in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that these would not just be words And it would not just be dry, heady truth. But instead, this would be warm and devotional, passionate, and life-changing. God, forgive us where we have failed to take our stand of being united to Christ and getting our identity from anything other than being in Christ. Father, forgive us for not really believing the Christian life is supernatural, for not really believing that Christ lives in us. And Father, forgive us for trying to avoid and escape suffering at all costs, when in fact, being united to Christ unites us to the sufferings ordained for the church. God, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know Christ, we pray that today would be the day their eyes are open, the scales fall off, and they would transfer trust from themselves to Jesus. Father, for the rest of us, if we change the rules, if we started with Christ and now trying to be mature or perfected or complete by our own efforts. God, convict us of that. And Lord, we pray that people would see
that we are a people who have been with Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's all stand and hear uh, our benediction. It's actually a benediction. I don't know why, but I've just had so hard of a time trying to memorize this benediction, so I'm just going to read it and you all receive it. Uh, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will as he works in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.